We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God our Creator, not our government. I believe that Scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning. And the Supreme Court has sided with the Biden administration allowing the Border Patrol to cut razor wire along the border in Texas. This was a 5-4 opinion on Monday with Chief Justice Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett siding with the liberal wing of the court, unfortunately. And this coming from Fox News, the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday sided with the Biden administration in a case involving a razor fence wire along Texas's border with Mexico. The court's decision allows Border Patrol agents to cut the wire that Texas had installed along the border. The wire had been installed as part of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's broader fight with the administration over immigration enforcement and attempts to stem the historic flow of migrants across the border since Biden's term began. In a 5-4 vote Monday, the justices granted an emergency appeal from the Biden administration, which has been in an escalating standoff at the border with Texas and had objected to an appellate ruling in favor of the state. So joining me now to talk more about this and what Texas may do about it is our good friend Matt Rinaldi, who is the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. So Matt, uh, first, your reaction to this uh, opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court. Thanks, Jenna, for having me on. I appreciate it. I, I, I mean, shocked, um, saddened. Uh, this is one of the worst decisions that has come back from the Supreme Court in recent memory, and that's really saying something. Um, effectively, what the court said is, and I don't think the explanation does it justice, uh, it, it allowed the Supreme Court to come onto private property and destroy the state's property, which are the barriers, in order to allow the flow of illegal aliens into the United States. So effectively, this is, this is a new uh, supremacy clause, effectively, that the Supreme Court established. That is, every, nothing can be supreme to the federal government's ability to have open borders, and it's an absolute disgrace. I, I would agree with you that this is an absolute disgrace, and I was um, really saddened to see Roberts and Barrett uh, side with the leftists, which is why we've said for a while, for all of these people who are saying, oh, we have the the best conservative court now by uh, a six-vote majority, it's just simply not accurate uh, it, when we see decisions like this. So what happened to state sovereignty, and where does Texas go from here? Yeah, and, and by the way, not only state sovereignty, but personal property rights. Let's keep in mind these are these are uh, individual Texans that have allowed the state to erect barriers on their own private property 
And what the Supreme Court says is that the federal government cannot be prevented from destroying those barriers against the wishes of the private property owner. So, you know, what I think Texas, where I think Texas goes from here, Abbott needs to be strong. I think DPS put out a great statement last night. I think DPS needs to continue erecting these barriers. And if the federal government cuts the barriers, I think they need to get DPS right behind wherever the federal government is, follow them around, and erect a barrier right behind it. Then when they cut that barrier, erect another barrier right behind it. Um, I, I think they need to stay strong, and I think they need to resist this decision as best they can. And, and you're talking, so DPS is the Texas Department of Public Safety, and um, and so a lot of people have been suggesting now that, that Texas needs to just completely, basically ignore this decision from the Supreme Court. Um, th- this presents obviously a conflict because the Supreme Court does have um, authority to review these types of decisions, but it doesn't actually have the authority to do what it did. So how should conservatives uh, parse that issue and that problem? And, and how is Texas going to consider uh, the the legal issues here? So... I think if you look at the uh, at the statement from the DPS and the statement from Greg Abbott, I think they both know that uh, th- they don't even need to resist the order to uh, effectively resist the order, if that makes sense. Because the only thing the order does is it removes a lower court order, preventing the federal government from cutting these this razor wire. Um, but what DPS is saying was we're still going to put up barriers. So, okay, cut the razor wire here. We'll just come right after and put it back up. Then you can cut it, and we'll just come back and just put it right back. Um, and I think that's what you effectively get into. Um, so we, we still don't know what the ultimate decision will be in the case. This is just a temporary restraining order. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's still a chance we prevail in this case as well, and there's ways to get around what this decision effectively said. And the statement from Greg Abbott, uh, this was posted on X, formerly known as Twitter, yesterday. Greg Abbott, uh, governor of Texas, says this is not over. Texas's razor wire is an effective deterrent to the illegal crossings Biden encourages. I will continue to defend Texas's constitutional authority to secure the border and prevent the Biden administration from destroying our property. Um, this seems so simple, Matt Rinaldi, that that obviously the, the, the wire is a preventative measure um, it's not even something as perhaps controversial in a humanitarian sense, like um, some of those buoys that were put into lakes that were um, that that was kind of accused of of actually being harmful to people um, as they were trying to to cross those rivers. Um, I have a little bit different take on that, which you know you you come into this country illegally at your own risk, right? And if you get harmed um, in the process, well, so be it. Um, we're allowed to defend our country, but. Um, but this type of razor wire isn't even as as controversial. And so um, what does this portend in terms of the broader national conversation about uh, illegal immigration and and Biden encouraging that? No, I, it, it isn't as controversial, by the way. I mean, razor wire is something you see around a fence at a junkyard in your hometown. I mean, it's not something... It's not something that that's that's controversial at all. Um, and, you know, I, I think where we go from here is I think Greg Abbott, his his third term in office, 
uh, has had enough. I, I think he's he's taking strong and real steps right now to combat the Biden administration. And we know this because Biden's resisting what Greg Abbott's doing, uh, where where he hasn't been before, specifically the buoys, specifically the razor wire. Um, and I, I, I do think we need to go further and say what this is, an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, uh, and that the state does have the power to do anything uh, to uh, repel this invasion, including sending people back over the border, which we have not done yet. Yeah, and and that's where um, listeners will know that I supported uh, Don Huffines in the primary, personally, just in my personal capacity in uh, in the Texas gubernatorial race. Um, that the last time that he was facing Greg Abbott, because he was very very strong on that exact constitutional question, um, among other things, uh, but especially declaring an invasion and actually using the power of the state. And so, has there been conversation from you know you're the the chair of the uh, Texas Republican Party? Has has there been conversation with Greg Abbott about actually just going that further step and act- and invoking that particular article? Because it's, it seems like th- this conflict is only escalating in terms of the legal fight. Yes. And I, 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 well, I think he's, he's come right up to doing it. Uh, and I think it's inevitable, certainly. Uh, earlier this year, he, he's, he has called... Um, you know, what is occurring in invasion. Uh, he has uh, started to repel people from coming over the border. So he's taken real meaningful uh, and, and important steps uh, towards addressing this issue. And I think it's just a small step further to, uh, you know, what Don Huffines was campaigning on and what, what a lot of us have advocated for, you know, including Ken Cuccinelli and, and people across the country. Yeah, and, and I would love to see uh, to Greg Abbott actually take that next step because I think that that puts it on even more solid legal ground. And um, and for those of you listening who aren't as familiar with uh, this particular part of the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10.3 says, No state shall, without consent of Congress, um, a number of things, uh, you know, lay uh, any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in a time of peace, enter in, into any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. And I think, Matt Rinaldi, that there's no question here that this is an invasion. I mean, we're not in the same um, legal pretzel maneuvering as uh, the the state of Colorado, for example, that wants to redefine what insurrection means. I mean, this isn't the Republicans saying th- and, and taking this term invasion and trying to manipulate it just to advance their own policy preference. I, I think just on the the basic fact, I mean, it, it's just it is what it is and it is an invasion. Yes, and I think what we're having a problem getting out of politically, and I think some of our, our 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 leaders need to get out of politically, is talking about this like an immigration issue necessarily, um, because once you're talking about invasion under Article One, Section Ten, you're not talking about immigration law, and even some of the legislation that was proposed last section in Texas uh, was talking about this as an immigration issue subject to the supremacy clause, and it's not. When the federal government is not defending our state, we have the right to defend ourselves, and we need to assert that right very decisively and very clearly. Um, And that's the next thing we need to do. That is a really excellent point. And I think um, for conservatives, 
we need to underscore that, Matt Rinaldi, that this isn't an immigration issue. This isn't something that the federal Congress has uh, the ability under Article 1, Section 8 to um, create the uniform rule of immigration naturalization. That is a power that then would be under the supremacy clause that's given to the federal government. This is something that is expressly reserved to the state uh, because the, the text of the Constitution in Article 1, Section 10 talks about unless actually invaded. And uh, and so we need to be very careful how we are expressing this issue, because it isn't just about um, migrants or illegal immigrants that are coming across the border. Um, that ultimately doesn't matter for what purpose they're coming here or who they are. Um, they're they're not Americans. And so for whatever purpose it is, um, this isn't a question of immigration. It is a question of invasion, and it's a question of protecting our borders. And I think um, that you're absolutely right on that, and it's a spot-on point. Um, so what is the political tenor in Texas in terms of um, the, the the Republicans that are looking at this issue uh, separate from Greg Abbott? Is there a consensus here that that Texas should stand firm and do something? Or is this more typical of Republicans that maybe there's a little bit of infighting? Um, I think there's there's a fairly broad consensus uh, that we need to take broad that we need to take bold action. Uh, I think there's a fairly broad consensus in favor of everything that Governor Abbott's done so far, um, and and even going further. I think your your holdup right now legislatively is the Texas House run by Speaker Dade Phelan, who who claims to be a Republican but effectively governs with Democrats. Um, uh, he governs with a Democrat coalition, and in in the session uh, previous to this, he blocked uh, the most meaningful. Uh, border legislation that was passed with Democrats supporting him. So uh, I think there is a broad consensus. I think we have a problem in the House that we have to deal with in the primaries. Um, I'm optimistic that it will be dealt with, and I think we can move forward united behind Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick in addressing this issue. Well, it's going to be a very interesting, uh, you know, next year and and certainly um, next term for the state of Texas. And, uh, you know, and, and, and dealing with all of these types of people that are in the um, the Texas state legislature, we saw that through uh, the impeachment of Ken Paxton that ultimately wasn't successful. I'm grateful that he is still the attorney general there in Texas doing some really good work. But it'll be interesting to see what uh, Texas does. I mean, there are even calls for now secession by the state of Texas. I don't personally quite think uh, that Texas is there yet. I think there's still a lot of legal ground and pushback uh, that can be done. And as Matt Rinaldi said, uh, this case is far from over yet, and we can hope and pray that the Supreme Court ultimately does the right thing. But Matt Rinaldi, you can follow him at Matt Rinaldi, R-I-N-A-L-D-I-T-X, at Matt Rinaldi, Texas, who's the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. Thanks so much for your time, and we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and we're continuing to talk about this Supreme Court opinion uh, in the border issue in Texas that was handed down yesterday and sided with the Biden administration allowing uh, Border Patrol to go onto private property and take down uh, this barbed wire fence. So joining me now to talk a little more about the legal issues here and where the state of Texas can go from here is our good friend Ron Coleman, who is a part of the Dillon Law Group and also has the Coleman Nation podcast. Uh, so Ron, before we get into this, I was actually just pulling up your um, your Twitter well, X profile. And um, and I always love to see what people put as their banner photos. And yours is a a screenshot of a transcript from court. And I got to know the story behind this because this is this is just great. And I know from being a litigator, it's it's always fun to go back and like look at court transcripts. So this one for, for people go and look at this at Ron Coleman's um, Twitter or X profile. It's a, the transcript reads the court. So so the judge is saying, really, I'm trying to encourage you. I admire your passion for this issue. It's great. Mr. Coleman, thank you. The court. We need people like you. Coleman, I am here. I am here. The court. Well, you may have the wrong audience. <laughs> What's going on? This was when uh, I was representing a group of uh, uh, pastors, actually, from southern New Jersey in the United States District Court for the District of New Jersey in a challenge to the COVID regulations, which prohibited any kind of reasonable accommodation to something that shouldn't have to be accommodated at all, which is the First Amendment uh, protection for freedom of worship. And at the time, uh, the, the judge had actually issued an, uh, an order to show cause, which gave us a great deal of hope that he would agree with us that the, issue, that the regulations were unconstitutional. And then over that, uh, the, the following, the order to show cause was going to be heard Monday, over the weekend, the Supreme Court, which at the time was composed of a somewhat different group, had uh, held against a very similar argument in Nevada. Mm. And the judge came out and basically said, I, you know, I, I think basically, <laughs> Mr. Coleman, I think you're right, but I'm going to lose. If I, if, I give, <laughs> if I grant you your order, it's going to be overturned by the Third Circuit. And you see where the Supreme Court is going. 
here, which was not a particularly courageous moment on his part. But ultimately, the Constitution did prevail over there. <laughs> mm, yeah, I, I remember um, that whole time, and you know that was uh, the, the same mm-hmm. type of issue um, on, in some churches that I also represented. It, it's amazing how short term um, the memories are of you know of the political climate in terms of you know this was just a couple of years ago that. Um, the Supreme Court at that time was actually suggesting that fear of a virus should override the the First Amendment and the right of people to to worship freely in churches or even to to get jobs. I mean, it's just it's insane. And so um, so that actually segues nicely. And I and I appreciate the background. This is um, for those of you listening. I mean, this is what lawyers do. Is yeah, we get around and share war stories and and uh, for hours, and it's <laughs> yeah. boring to it's so many other people, but. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. But it's always great because it's uh, yeah, it's always so much fun. So I appreciate that that anecdote. But but that whole um, that that entire context and the Supreme Court just having absolutely no respect for the fact that the Constitution, I mean, later Justice Gorsuch says the Constitution isn't suspended in moments of crisis. I'm like, yeah, where was that three years ago? Well, now we're looking right. at the Supreme Court that is genuinely not a, by and large, a, a giant conservative majority like everybody thought. And I am grateful to President Trump for his three picks. I mean, we're in a much, much better position. But what in the world is going on with Justice Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett for this decision to allow the Texas Border Patrol to come in and, and take down razor wire and allow an invasion? Well, you know, there, there are two big issues here. One of them is this was a decision, and as you, uh, I'm sure, have already informed your listeners, not an opinion, just a decision, with respect to the, the, the stay of the injunction. Uh, it doesn't go to the merits of the case. It goes to the emergency relief sought by the state of Texas, against the injunction that had been issued against Texas from proceeding with its very, very daring and brave states' rights, uh, you know, measure here on the, on the Texas border. There are, there are serious legal questions about, about Texas's act, actions. And that goes to the second point, which is that notwithstanding how awful this policy is, it is a terrible policy. But the, the U.S. Supreme Court has been pretty clear that immigration policy has been is really reserved to the federal government, unless that federal government is Donald Trump's federal government, in which case there are no He's always the exception. There's always the Trump exception to the Constitution. I'm sure that the founders expressly intended that. It's in the vast (laughs) penumbra, right? We can just see it emanate. Right next to the COVID (laughs) exception. Yeah, exactly. Right. There we go. But but, so there is a serious question here. What makes this an interesting case here is not is, is that Texas isn't doing anything really affirmative or arguably if it is doing something affirmative, it is the Biden administration that is doing something beyond its normal enforcement duties. In other words, it's not really even making a policy decision. It's making a decision to really transgress United States law itself. 
So there is, I, I do think ultimately the Supreme Court's going to have to wrestle, and, and it will, wrestle with the issue of whether or not the United States can affirmatively violate its own, like whether, whether that is within the discretion of the executive branch to affirmatively, affirmatively violate United States law by uh, not only, you know, not enforcing that law at the border, but also preventing a state from enforcing its own laws. But there is, there is a complex I- issue of, you know, of, of, of federal supremacy here that admittedly has to be dealt with. I don't know what the rationale was for Barrett and Roberts on the, on the injunction question, and hopefully we'll find out someday, but I wouldn't lose hope on this just yet. Yeah, and, and Ron Clement, and the emergency I, continues. Right. Well, right. And so, um, so what what Ron is uh, talking about is that this was just a um, basically one paragraph. There was no opinion. It was just an order that the application to vacate the injunction um, is 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 vacated. And so this was just a, a temporary measure. There was no opinion. We just know that um, it was a 5-4 decision, but no real rationale. Um, but I had Matt Rinaldi, who is the um, the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, on in, in the prior segment. And um, and he articulated the legal question this way, which I would love to get your response to, because I thought it was was actually a brilliant way of posing um, the legal question to say that this really isn't a question of immigration policy. It's a question of invasion. So it goes to Article one, Section 10, not really the immigration question under the supremacy clause. And it and Texas needs to argue it that way, that this is a, a an issue of state sovereignty, private property, not a question of immigration policy well that's a nice legal argument uh and i would make it i wouldn't hesitate to make it but at the end of the day it's an immigration question sovereignty when you're talking about sovereignty with respect to a different i mean there's a darn there is a reason basic statutory and constitutional interpretation if, if there's something in the constitution you, you've got to you know you you've got to address it you've got to you've got to respect it so i would make that argument but i would also have no trouble understanding if the court were to say this nonetheless does fall under federal supremacy uh, it, it's it's a fantastic i mean this is a law school exam question it, it's it's a great question uh, I, I don't mean to suggest to my to my listeners that i'm finding some kind of um, cold intellectual pleasure dancing on the head of a pin here this is an issue that goes to the heart of our country's survival as a sovereign country and i and i applaud the government of texas for doing what it did i regret that it took so long to get to this point and you know we do know about the increment the incrementalist inclination of judge roberts um uh, judge barrett has run hot and cold Hopefully, uh, when the case is decided on the merits, and hopefully that won't be too that won't be too long from now, we'll get to find out uh, what's really going on here. Yeah, uh, really well said, and and I think it is going to be interesting to see how the the court. Um, 
parses the legal question between supremacy and also state sovereignty, which obviously our founders intended for states to be able to protect their borders during an actual invasion, um, but also to give the question of immigration to the federal Congress so it is uniform for the entire country. So that's always the conflict, but we always have a clash of rights and powers um, with almost any legal question when you have the adversarial process. Um, so I think that there's a balance here, and hopefully the the conservative wing of the court. And you're hearing my dog in the background because um, because one of them has gone into the studio room and has closed the door on himself, and and now now the other one is going in. Now Todd is going in and trying to rescue him. So I'm watching this play out in the background, by the way. Um, and oh, and they they have liberated themselves. Good job, boys. See, if I had just come over there right. and done that for you, then they wouldn't have learned. Maybe maybe now he'll he'll when I close the door he'll he'll learn we'll see but um <laughs> but um you know this is always the question uh, Ron Coleman is you know how we how we as as a country and as the judicial branch um, how they balance those powers when you're talking about the federal government versus the state government and I don't think we should just default to always suggesting that and, and I'm not suggesting you're doing this I, I think the Supreme Court is suggesting they may be inclined to do this to just default to the supremacy clause to just say well we we need to always uh, prefer the federal government over state sovereignty that's how we've gotten into this giant morass of a of a big federal bureaucracy without truly of protecting course. state sovereignty yeah, well, I mean, the dormant the dormant commerce clause was really the death knell on that point, and and it's been used to justify such a phenomenal array of extra constitutional federal involvement in the lives of, of of Americans. Much of it motivated by the best possible inclinations, but it's been a disaster as a whole, including in most cases for those who were meant to benefit by it. And here with the immigration situation, there is no more core function of a national government than to secure the borders of that government. And here you're not saying, we're not talking about a failure to secure, we're talking about a literal frustration of efforts to secure. It is unconscionable. Yeah, 100%. I agree. And and there is a question, um, and, and I only I know we only have five minutes, and so we can go longer on my podcast at some point on this question, um, because we, you cannot possibly uh, sufficiently answer and discuss uh, the question of secession in five minutes. But I'm going to give you a shot, Ron Coleman, um, <laughs> and to see if lawyers can be brief. But some of the, uh, the, the suggestions from the people of Texas um, and, and from the broader pushback on social media is to say, well, this is just, this is it. Texas just needs to secede and and needs to defend their borders. Um, just from the question, not of whether Texas should, but just from the question of does the Constitution allow for that? Um, Article uh, 4 in the Constitution describes how states can be admitted uh, or territories can be admitted into the union, and there is the the constitutional process for that. Interestingly, the Constitution is silent on the issue of secession. So, in your view, is that even an option for the state of Texas? Five minutes go. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. A, it's not. It's not an option. Although I, it is. I have heard someone mention that the admission of Texas into the union actually had some unique uh, 
condition attached to it or some 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 kind of reservation that was different from admission of other states into the union but i i i'm i'm a commercial litigator <laughs> so i couldn't tell you i do think that issue was was settled during the civil war whether people are pleased with how it was settled or not uh, i don't think there is any court in the united states that would um, agree that a state has the right to secede and i think it, it, it frankly is it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to argue that it that it could unless unless there indeed was something different in the case of texas i mean there we're, we're definitely I can agree with one thing. We're in deep, deep constitutional crisis here, and it's just, it's shameful and heartbreaking. Yeah, it it truly is, and to see that um, the... <laughs> the powers that were given to states for the express purpose of being able to defend and protect the people of their own states um, clearly are being violated here. And I completely disagree with the Supreme Court in this decision um, to to suggest that they can go on to private property. Um, But to the, to the question of secession, I mean, I, I don't think that that personally, I don't think that that is um, even if that were a constitutional option, I don't think that we're there. I'm opposed. um, And listeners know this to the, whole issue of a national divorce um you know that it's just not practical at this point i don't think that it would serve anyone's greater purpose Uh, but to the the question of constitutionality even though um the the constitution is silent on it um and i'll have to pull up this case later and 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 for listeners you're you're gonna have to continue listening because um there was a case and i'm trying to find it here and i'll find it later but um it was last year between new york and new jersey actually over um, a contest over some property and um and and the question that the court ultimately resolved um in some way kind of opened the door to to suggesting that um, some property could be ceded back and forth. And, and it was a really interesting decision. And I'll have to um, go into that later. But this is why, Ron Coleman, you know, you're right that ultimately we're in a constitutional crisis because we have judges and justices on the bench that are m- much more concerned about policy decision making than just just rule of law. And and so where does well, that yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I think it's not just judges and justices, which I do think is a problem, but there has always been a fundamental core of trust and good faith that every branch of government has been required to execute. You can't rely on one branch to always save the day. And never before in American history has, or certainly not in modern history, has the executive branch been so faithless to its constitutional and moral obligations and the courts can and i'm we're always getting questions i'm sure you do also on on x can't the supreme court step in and do something about this and the answer is no supreme courts don't step in (laughs) right executives have to execute and the idea that the executive would do as it's doing now uh base its policy on this idea that we're going to do what we want unless someone tells us to stop it. And even if the court tells us to stop it, like in the case of student loan forgiveness, we're going to do it anyway. Right. How many right. And, well, and, and Texas, have? too. 
Yeah, and, and Texas, too, may just say, okay, fine, tear it down. We're going to just continue to to then uh, put the barbed wire back up. And, and it's not really an enforcement of, of the law. We are in a massive constitutional morass. But, um, Ron Coleman, this is why the podcasts that you come on with me are generally like 45 minutes long because we can sit here and rant for a long time. Always appreciate your insights, but we're out of time for this segment. Follow my good friend Ron Coleman at Ron Coleman on X, formerly known as Twitter. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. Daisy and her husband decided they never wanted kids. When she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. But after she and her husband met her baby on an ultrasound and heard the heartbeat, their hearts melted and they chose life. Her baby Jeffrey is healthy and beautiful. Daisy and her husband can't even imagine life without him. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And uh, we took a moment in that last break to open the porch door and see if we can uh, get my two little velociraptors to, <laughs> to calm down. But uh, Todd and Copper, as most of you know, are my two little puppies. And I so appreciate uh, how many people write in. I actually think more than anything else in terms of response um, from our listeners, um, I have more comments and, uh, and, and more love for uh, the two little golden doodles than literally anything else that we talk about. And that just shows that, you know, family, which includes our pets, um, are, is very important. And so if you want to uh, see their their cuteness instead of just hear their commentary. You can always follow them on Instagram, two dudes, uh, D-O-O-D-S for golden doodles, two dudes underscore copper and Todd. And um, there was a there was a, a, a meme that I saw on, because I follow a lot of golden doodle pages now, and um, there was a meme that showed a small little golden doodle puppy from zero to six months and, you know, the cute little puppy. And then from six months to two years, it was a picture of a baby velociraptor. And I think we have um, officially reached the, uh, the velociraptor stage of um, a portion of the program, but, uh, but they're so much fun. And uh, they do have a lot of great insights and commentary. Um, but speaking of a family and, uh, and speaking of the institutions that God has ordained, um, I, I told you last week that um, I'm moving into my uh, home church here in Florida because um, I live in Florida now. I, I moved, um, I spent the last four years in DC, of course, and then um, ultimately moved my residency from Colorado. So um, so I'm remote. I, I get to uh, be on radio from Florida each morning uh, with the puppies. And, um, and so that necessarily means that because I'm in Florida, I needed to look for a new uh, local church. And even though I'm still um, engaged and 
and uh, in contact with and, and, and in community with um, my church in Colorado still because um, my parents go there. My, my dad is an elder. My mom does um, Christian biblical counseling through the church. And every time that I go back and visit them, um, I, I go back to that church. Uh, but it's important to live locally. It is, it is commanded by scripture. We don't have an option that we need to be part of a local community of believers. And we need to gather together as the ecclesia regularly. Um, this was the question, as Ron Coleman was talking about in the last segment, about um, the whole COVID narrative and, and how the government was trying to infringe on the First Amendment protected right that Christians exercise for gathering together as believers. Um, that was the the entire premise of the Essential Church uh, documentary that um, went into the whole question of, uh, of this this clash between the church and the state when the state is saying you can't meet as the church, but the Bible commands it. And we see in scripture that uh, we are as Christians commanded to obey the government um, and, unless and until the government tells you to disobey God. Um, so that documentary is, is actually on Salem now. Um, you can also get that that DVD. Um, I was one of uh, the, the key attorneys that represented John MacArthur and Grace Community Church um, in that legal battle. And that documentary goes into our legal fight as well as a couple of churches in Canada and, and really this overall broad question. Um, so, so all of that to say, when we're talking about being part of a local church, um, that experience to me of, um, of wrestling with not just the legal questions, but understanding from John MacArthur and his um, elder board what it actually means to be the church and to stand firm against the government when the government is telling you um, to disobey God uh, and, and what the Christian's response must be according to scripture. That whole experience um, to me was was the greatest legal battle that I've ever been um, honored to be a part of because of the merit of what we were fighting for. And just personally, for me and part of um, my testimony and growth in my own faith, um, my my faith was built stronger because I understood on a deeper spiritual but also more practical level uh, why the church is so important and why it's so important for Christians to be involved in church community. Um, and I think we should not take that lightly. Um, I think that we should not just assume that if we attend church occasionally, then that is sufficient to fulfill the command in scripture. Uh, we need to be actively engaged. And and your church may not have a formal process for membership. Um, that's fine. You know, there's not a process that's laid out in the New Testament of exactly how that should look. Um, there are uh, commands to the church in terms of church authority and exhortation and church discipline, um, accountability, all of the one and others in scripture. Um, but as I'm now... Uh, becoming engaged in my local church in Florida, um, we have a new members class. And so I attended that for the first time this past Sunday. And they call it the B class, which is to be the church. And I actually love how they broke this down um, because they said at, um, at our church, we want three things for you. First, to believe, two, to belong, and three, 
beyond? Uh, how do you live a life of true significance and to fulfill the reason God put you here on earth? We have to live beyond ourselves. And that goes into exactly everything that we talk about, about living in our civil society, in our community. Um, it, politics is defined as living out our truth, um, the truth of God in community, not our truth as in my truth versus your truth, but our understanding of the truth in civil society. And that, that should be the definition of politics. Unfortunately, politics now is just um, the clash between parties and my opinion versus your opinion. Um, and, and that's, but that's not how God has established and ordained this. So what I loved about how they broke down this class and why I wanted to share this with you this morning um, is because I think we all as Christians should very strongly consider what it means first and foremost to believe. Do we agree with the statement of faith of our church? Have we accepted uh, Christ as our Lord and Savior? Of course, the first step for every Christian is to become a Christian, to believe. Um, and we have to ensure that we understand that, that we have made a an open and public declaration of faith. The Bible also commands the believer to be baptized by immersion. Um, and then we are supposed to belong. Uh, God's plan is to surround us with people that will help us grow individually, spiritually. God is actively working through the church. And because of this, uh, we will talk to everyone, we'll talk about why everyone needs to be an active member of their local church and then what's expected of them. And so as, as my church was explaining what is expected of members, um, there was a long list of things. It's you're, you're expected to show up. You're, you're expected to, to be part of a ministry at the church. You're expected to give to the church. You are expected to be an active member. And I loved this because so often so many churches just want to provide to you a sense of community or activities or things to be engaged in. But by engagement, really what they're suggesting and what they're allowing is just for you to be served. How many, for example, ladies' ministries, um, the only thing that, that they do is go, you go, you partake of the, uh, the teaching and then all of the activities are to benefit you, like the ladies' tea, the ladies' luncheons, the la you know, all of these other things that they term as ministry, but it's really ministering to yourself, right? How often are you engaging genuinely in ministry in the church for the benefit of the rest of the church? Now, there's nothing wrong with ladies' teas. Um, my, my church in Colorado, we had, um, for part of the, the ladies' uh, Bible study that my mom teaches every every Wednesday night and um, and for those of you you can always reach me Jenna at afr.net if you want to participate in um, the live stream of that because they do that for for people who can't actually attend in person like from other states and so forth I mean get involved again live locally but while you're doing that you can also participate online um, you know we had a, a gingerbread house making uh, party for Christmas and and I was uh, blessed to be in Colorado so I attended that nothing wrong with that but what I'm saying and what my church now in Florida is saying is that you have to be engaged as 
an active member of the church and fulfill ministry by using your own spiritual gifts in ministry, not just using the church to your own benefit, to find friends, to have community, to have activities, to have things to do. Um, then you might as well join the health club or some kind of, you know, rotary club kind of activity. That's not the church. The church is all about promoting the truth of the gospel of Christ and fulfilling what God has for living out our faith in our lives and working out our faith in in fear and trembling. And um, so the beyond part of this is how do you live a life of true significance to fulfill the reason that God put you on earth? We have to live beyond ourselves. And, um, and so the first question then is what is your purpose? And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So what is God's plan for you? Well, for the Christian, um, God has a plan for our lives. Uh, God's plan for each one of us is going to look different. That's based on um, where we were born, what time, what season we were born in. Um, some of you are much older than me. Some of you are much younger than me. Um, but God has created us for a specific purpose for this moment in time and throughout our entire lives for all the days that God gives us. We are called to live for Christ and do everything that we can for him each and every day. And this is also why God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough of its own trouble. Worry about today. And I've always thought to to myself, especially over the last you know 10 plus years that I've really specifically been in ministry, um, I have thought, okay, as long as I get up every morning and I do today what God has for me today, that's all I can do. And that's what I should be doing. And so the best way to discover God's plan for your life is to understand your own spiritual gifts. And so they, they gave us this um, acronym of, um, of SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. So the first one is spiritual gifts. How has the Holy Spirit gifted you? If you've never taken a spiritual gifts test, um, you should. And you should see how has God used um, your specific personality, skill set, experience, uh, to best benefit overall the body of Christ. Um, my spiritual gifts are going to be very different um, probably than, than a lot of yours. Um, some of my spiritual gifting and, and my, my th- top three were uh, discernment, prophecy, and teaching. And, um, and, and that actually fits in exactly with, uh, with what I do in ministry every day here, uh, at AFR, which is to teach the truth of the gospel of Christ, apply that to political analysis, news of the day headlines to talk about how we live rightly in society. And I love doing that. Um, I love developing that gift that God has given me and using that for the broader body of Christ, which is all of you and all of us that, uh, listen to AFR every day. Um, so then, so S is spiritual gifts. H is heart. What are you passionate about? Uh, what do you want to do for Christ? A is abilities. What are natural talents and abilities that you have? Uh, personality. Um, what is your personality? What What is your um, best way that you operate? Do you like working independently with a group? Some of those things um, that will help you find a ministry that you can best participate in and you're excited about. And then experience and events is the E. Significant events in our life will shape us. Um, I know for me, just being part of uh, John MacArthur's 
legal battle. That was an experience that shaped my understanding of how important the church is, not just from a theological perspective, but from understanding practically and living that with them over the course of two years, understanding by that experience how important the First Amendment is and to protect the ministry of the church. So the question today that I would love for you to consider is how can I live beyond myself? How can I be a part of ministry and part of mission? Go and promote the truth of the gospel of Christ. Be active in your local church, active, of course, in your families, but also in your local community. And you can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net and make it a great day for the Lord. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.